I just want to introduce Corinna Cohn. Corinna is a co-host of the Heterodorks podcast, a published writer in Quillette and the Washington Post. And Corinna writes about experiences after undergoing gender transition as a teen in the 90s. Corinna testified in front of the Indiana legislature and will be talking to us about supporting a bill prohibiting males from competing in women's sports. So we're so honored to, to have Corinna here with us tonight. Well, Marcy, thank we you go. so much for that introduction. I, I appreciate it. As Marcy said, my name is Corinna Cohn. I am currently 47 years old, but when I was 18 years old, for whatever reason, I thought that it was a good idea to start to pursue a sex change, which is what we called it back then. In the introduction, it was called a gender transition. But I was young. I was maybe a little confused about what I was doing, but I started hormone replacement therapy. And at the age of 19, I had sex reassignment surgery. I have been undergoing estrogen treatment for close to 30 years now. Earlier this year, I testified before the Indiana uh, House of Representatives first, and then later the Indiana Senate on Bill HB 1041, which is a bill that restricts the participation of women and girls sports for girls only. When the bill was introduced originally, it also applied to post-secondary education, but I believe that there was some sort of deal made with the NCAA that the NCAA would start to be more um, aggressive about or protect women's sports a little bit more in return that Indiana, which is a NCAA is, is very tightly bound to Indiana, the, the headquarters are here, um, that, that Indiana would direct the bill for uh, just the, the public schools in Indiana. So the legislature did pass the bill. The Republican governor, uh, Eric Holcomb, vetoed the bill. His reason was that there just didn't seem to be enough of a reason or cause to pass a bill of this nature, and he didn't see that there was any evidence that there was a problem. The, um, the bill was overridden by the Indiana legislature, so it did pass into law, and almost immediately there were lawsuits filed by the ACLU. So it's tempting to characterize the issue of this type of bill, these sports bills, as Republican legislators who are trying to wage a war against uh, marginalized people, trans people. But the ways that women and girls are affected by these types of bills, which open up participation of sex-based activities to anybody, to anybody of any sex, uh, uniquely affects women. These types of bills are often characterized as being against trans people, and they're, they're really not. There is a sincere conflict of rights that we should be able to talk about in the media, about where the rights that women have fought for and have been able to achieve are at conflict with the rights that are 
people, people who are trans are making a assertion that they also have rights to have the same, be in the same spaces and participate in the same activities. And more and more, this is becoming a political issue where people who are on the left, politicians on the left, policymakers on the left, are aligning on the side of gender identity. And those on the right are lining up for protecting sex-based rights. It shouldn't be like this. When we are talking about protecting the civil rights of people who are like me, who have undergone some form of sex or gender transition, there shouldn't be any question that people like me should be able to have civil rights protections for housing, for employment, for being able to have the same access to the, our institutions in a, in a fair, just, and equal way. But when you are talking about conflating the idea of gender identity and sex, that, that should not be something that falls into partisan lines. But more and more, it is. So what do these bills do? Why did I come and to the legislature to support the, the passage of HB 1041? Well, I have girls who are close to me. I have girls in my family. And I know that there's something different about girls' sports from boys' sports. Girls, the girls that I know, the girls in my family, they want to participate in sports. They are eager to do so, but they want to do so on the basis of it being a, a fair competition. They want to be able to challenge themselves to get better, and they want to have a chance of winning if they do well. I know from the girls that are close to me, the ones in my family, that if they have to fight against boys in their sports, people who have an unfair advantage because they have gone through male puberty, that uh, they, are, they are lovely. They want everybody to have a chance to play, but they will quietly take themselves out of the sphere of competition if it seems like they won't have an equal shot. So as somebody who has who is trans and somebody who has benefited from some of the privileges of, of being trans, I thought that it was my turn to step up and give public testimony in support of a bill that would be in favor of women's and girls' rights. There is nothing in the bill that is discriminatory against trans people. And in fact, girls who identify as trans who, who identify as boys are still able to try out and play in boys sports if they wish to. But as we have seen across the country, that when girls identify as trans and, and they identify as boys, that, that girls participate in girls sports. And then the boys who identify as trans also participate in girls sports. So bills like 1041 are specifically to protect existing what should be existing sex-based rights. There are, um, the, the opponents of these types of bills say that these bills prohibit uh, trans kids, which is a, a term that I take some exception to, but they say that trans kids will not be able to participate in sports if these types of bills pass, but that's not true. 
if there are non-competitive sports or intramural sports, these boys who identify as trans would still be able to play in them and they should be encouraged to do so. But furthermore, boys sports and the people, the adults who coach and lead boys sports should be proactive in making the boys who are gender non-conforming feel welcome to play in leagues that are boys leagues. It's strange to me that as we are becoming a more inclusive society, the, the way that we're doing it is by infringing upon women's and girls' rights instead of evaluating the types of problems that we see in allowing gender non-conforming boys to have a richer life with others of their sex. And in my opinion, if I had been treated differently when I was a young boy and been uh, accepted more for being somebody who was less conforming than the other boys, then that's something that maybe would have helped me go a little bit slower on, on my transition. So I advocate we need more social change, accepting gender nonconforming boys and girls, but also ensuring that we have the opportunities that have been established for girls protected against these types of uh, confusion conflations between the sex and gender identity. So when we're talking about adults competing at a collegiate or, or professional level, anyone who, any male who has gone through male puberty has a distinct and permanent advantage over women and girls. I know that from firsthand experience because I've gone through male puberty. And although I have been on estrogen for 30 years, there is no way that I can get rid of the advantage that I have in, in my height. I'm, I am five foot 10. I cannot get rid of the advantage that I have in my musculature or my skeleton. I can't get rid of the advantage that I have in having a larger lung capacity. It doesn't matter how many years that I've been on estrogen and it doesn't matter what my testosterone level is. There are advantages that I will always have in sport and what I understand and know and what I encourage other trans people to recognize, other trans women, other males who identify as trans, is that we have these advantages and that does not make us it does not make us worse people, or it, it doesn't make us somehow um, subhuman for us to recognize that we have these advantages and to, in, to choose to compete against men instead of putting ourselves into places where, where we have an unfair advantage competing against women. There is a belief that it's cruel to boys who identify as trans to not allow them to play in sports with their friends. And we are called upon to make a compassionate choice to make exceptions for some of these boys who have been, in some cases, placed on puberty suppressing drugs. Uh, that's not all the time. Some of these boys are have are still going through male puberty 
uh, when they're joining girl sports. But oftentimes when opposition is brought up to these types of bills, you will see an especially um, convincing case of a boy with long hair, dressed up very prettily with the parents saying, why do you hate my child? And why do you have so little compassion? What I would say is that there's two parts to this. One is that we should have compassion for all children, but we shouldn't just say that our consideration and caring for girls needs to be set aside because there's a, a boy who is an exception. We need to think about fairness and making these types of special exceptions is not fair to all the girls who want to participate. But the other part of this is that when you have a child who's being transitioned like this, this is the, this is the part that really makes me sad. At the time that they are young, they are being encouraged by the adults in their lives to have this trans identity and that they're being told that they are girls. And these boys will believe what the adults are telling them, especially since they know that they're different from the boys around them. And when they are told that the reason that you're different from these boys is not because you're a different boy. It isn't because some boys are unusual and you happen to be one of the unusual boys. Uh, these poor children are being told it's because you're a girl and we're going to do everything that we can do to ensure that everyone treats you like a girl. These boys don't have, they don't have agency in these conditions. And so we should have some compassion for them as well, because I, I believe that many of them are being used as tools by people who are trying to institute broader social changes that demand and require that we confuse the difference between biological sex and gender identity. I am absolutely confident that we are going to not stabilize around the idea of allowing boys to compete in women and girls sports. As more and more people consider this issue, regardless of what their political backgrounds are, left or right or Democrat or Republican, they understand intuitively that there is a, a deeply seated issue of fairness at play here. And while the people may be pressured right now to say the thing that they believe is popular, over time, as people consider the issue and they see the number of wins that males rack up against women accumulate, that people will reconsider the issue and that they will choose fairness in the long run. I believe that because I think that that's the only stable position. But it's going to take time to get there. And there are a couple of things ahead of us that we all have to consider as we're thinking about this issue. One is that fundamentally, if you support this issue, it has to be because you are aware of the need to protect women and girls' rights and not because you have any animus against somebody who is different like I am. If somebody supports 
the types of bills that protect women's sports because they think that they're getting one over on somebody who's trans. Those people, those people cannot have a voice in the movement, in my opinion, because if that's allowed to happen, then the accusations that these types of, of bills or policies are based on hate will take a foothold. There will, there will be merit. The second thing to consider is that right now, at the end of 2022, we are in an especially contentious period of time where there is a political difference on this issue and people on the right are reflexively supporting these types of bills, uh, maybe without even considering whether it's an issue of fairness or not, because people on the right are sponsoring these bills. And uh, polit politicians and policymakers on the left are reflexively supporting the opposite sort of bills that destroy the differences between sex and gender. This time, I think, is going to pass, hopefully, but it's going to take the deliberate participation of people to reach across and persuade the, the people on the left. Unfortunately, that's just the dynamic right now. But we need moderates and people on the left to be able to say, this isn't about trans rights, this is about women's rights. And I will protect the rights of trans people in their civil rights without, without hesitation. But there are some places where there is a conflict in these rights and we, we can't make women and girls a second-class citizen to account for some differences in society. We have to help encourage people to deprogram themselves from the thought-terminating cliches like trans women are women and trans men are men, because I am literally not a woman. No matter what, I, no matter what estrogen I take, no matter what I look like, and no matter what it says on my passport, I'm not a woman. And we need to deprogram people from, from thinking that gender identity is the same thing as sex. We need to be able to love people who are different like I am and make sure that we are included in society, but not to the extent where we forget the difference between biology and how we identify. So what I would encourage you to do, everyone listening, Many of you, I don't, th first of all, thank you for everybody who's come. Many of you, based on my experience, have likely not had these types of conversations with your friends or with your neighbors. What I would say to you is take advantage of voices like mine that say there is a, a difference of opinion in the trans community as to whether or not males should be allowed to participate in women's and girls' sports. It is not an issue that has to be broken down by political party or affiliation. And it does not mean that you hate anybody who's trans if you step up and you speak on behalf of women and girls' rights. I'm doing it. I don't hate myself and I don't hate other trans people. I'm speaking up because I know that doing so is the right thing to do. I have had pushback, but I have, I have also found allies and I have found supporters, and you will also. And, and honestly, 
the number of people who are willing to confide in me one-on-one -on -one saying, yeah, on, on this issue, I can, I can see why we need to protect this um, is, is greater than I had expected it to be. Because as I said, people intuitively know that it's not right that we pretend that gender identity and sex are the same thing. And eventually we're going to figure out that we're going to protect women and girls sports. Thank you. That was awesome. Thank you, Corinna. Thank you so much. Um, so at this point, if anybody has any questions, um, Kim, you want to take the first couple? Sure. And I want to encourage people to um, send them to us in the Q&A or, or on the chat, either one. Um, so the first one I have for you, Corinna, is why should your perspective be listened to versus a young female athlete who's advocating for trans inclusion for their friends? When I was giving testimony at the Indiana legislature, one of the other people giving testimony after me was a high school female athlete. And she came up before the legislature and she made an impassioned speech to, in, to make sure that we were including her trans, trans girl um, teammate in, in women's and girls sports. Her argument was, it wasn't based on, on facts or logic, but it was based on a, a very deep passion for the justice of inclusion. So people should listen to female athletes when they are talking about this. But what I would say is that when you are young and it's very important for you to make, to have good relationships with your peers, that one of the things that you are called to do when you are young is, is make these types of expressions of, of justice and inclusion, even if it means self-sacrifice. And in her case, I believe it really is self-sacrifice, but it's more than self-sacrifice because she's also willing to sacrifice all of the rights of her, her teammates to be able to get up and say that. We shouldn't discount voices that are making those sorts of calls but we should try to persuade them that the rights that they, are, that they are enjoying are ones that previous generations of women and men, but, but chiefly women, have fought to achieve. And that when you love your, your trans classmate and you want to do something for them, that there are other areas that you can fight for them in and still show their, their love without having to sacrifice everything that had been brought before you to, to be able to, to have this opportunity to have uh, competitive girl sports. Thank you. Okay, I have one more. Um, so why do you think there is a presumption that boys should be allowed into girls sports requiring us to pass this legislation? Why do you think we are where we are in the legal sense? 
at some point fairly recently in time, the concept of gender identity was, was slipped into policy and law. It's been added as some sort of special category. As it happens, I have a, a definition from the Nevada's uh, statutes of gender identity because Nevada just recently, in, in the most recent election cycle, I think passed a, a, a sweeping law protecting on the basis of gender identity. The definition is uh, gender identity or expression means the gender related identity, appearance, expression, or behavior of a person, regardless of that person's assigned sex at birth. So there are a number of activist uh, words in here such as sex assigned at birth, because as we all know, sex is observed at birth. And 99.99% of that time, uh, sex is, is unambiguous and the observation is correct. And then the definition also says, uh, gender identity is gender related identity. Well, that's a, a circular definition, but activists have been successful at getting these types of definitions into law, even though they don't mean anything. So it's going to have to come to courts to make rulings on whether or not there is a difference between gender identity and sex. But when enough people are beguiled into thinking that how a person identifies somehow determines what their sex is, they give up these types of fights uh, without any sort of pushback. It should be the presumption that under laws like Title IX, that gender identity and sex are not the same thing. And it should not be possible for any administration to come along and create interpretations of longstanding and unambiguous terms like sex. But that has been allowed to happen. And unfortunately, that has left us in, in this position where Although the presumption should be that boys should not be playing in girls' sports unless there's a clear alteration in the law to allow it, we are instead doing the opposite, which is pushing back and trying to pass laws to clarify what everybody would have understood as a plain reading only 10 years ago. Okay, I have um, one question submitted. Um, I totally agree that we have to embrace boys who might be viewed as different, perhaps not as stereotypically male in their behavior. How do we work with coaches and teammates that are male to be more acceptive of including these boys into male groups? I... I've been on Twitter for a while. You can you can follow me at, at heterodorks uh, under my current incarnation. But in previous years, questions like this have come up, and oftentimes feminists say this is a problem that men have to solve. And I, I'm never happy with that answer because I think it's something that all of us will have to solve, men men and women because men so far have not been able to solve it and, and they don't even think it's a problem. So I, I believe that for campaigns that are 
working towards the protections of women's sports, that there's going to have to be some parallel campaigns that also promote more inclusion in boys sports. And that's that's going to have to be from people like, you know, it starts with people like me saying, we need this thing. I, I coaches, I male coaches, coaches of male sports, I needed you to model inclusion of, of more types of boys than just the jockey ones when I was in school. I needed that. I might've been more sensitive. I might've uh, had a harder time getting along. I needed more male role models to step forward and say that I was welcome to play on the teams. Other, other people like me need to be able to step forward and say the same thing in a way that male coaches hear it. Um, I don't know that I don't have any book to, to refer you to or, or anything like that, but I think that the very first thing to do is to develop the intention to be a, a more inclusive coach. That's really great advice. These are good questions in the Q and A, Marcy. Hit them all. <laughs> you, you, can I can I add one addendum to that? Yes. This this would be absolutely. I would I would do anything that I could to support a coach who did this, who who vocally said, "I welcome trans girls on my boys' team. Trans girls are welcome on my boys' team. I I will f fight to protect you and and let you have an equal opportunity on my team." So if male coaches would step up and, and, and make it clear that they believe that and would work towards making that happen sincerely, I think that that would make a huge difference. Yeah, it sparks um, some conversations we've had. Um, and Kim, maybe you can talk to this a little more, but of the differences between how the Ivy League really hammered the women's teams across the conference and largely um, didn't address it even close to the amount on any of the men's teams um, this past season in the NCAA uh, swimming. So I don't know if Kim, you want to add anything to that. Yeah, that. it's interesting to hear you say that, Corinna, because it is true that the um, Athletic departments, the leaders at the NCAA and particularly in the Ivy League, it was very one-sided. All of the talking to about inclusion was directed at the women. And I'm in a unique position in having a boy and a girl in the Ivy League. And it was shocking, the, the difference. So your, um, I think, directing some of this to expectations for men and coaches and people in positions of power to form inclusion in a new way and with new language and directing it to more than just the female community is uh, that's insightful. Mm -hmm. I, I, I did notice in, in the chat, if I could just address this for a moment here, because one of the participants made a comment that, that I want to address because um, it's, it's important to think about this. Um, so I use the term trans girls, and um, you couldn't see the quotes around it, but um, I, I meant for them to be there. The comment says there are no trans girls, uh, there are trans identified boys. And as you may have noticed in, in the, the body of my, my talk, I, I didn't refer to anything such as trans girls. 
What's important to remember is that at the at the in the, at the school level, that there are boys who identify as trans girls, and they have classmates, female classmates, who see them as trans girls. And when you're when you're trying to fix something as broken as boys playing in girls sports, what what I would encourage you to do is um, not fight the language war, but try to figure out how to get how to make allies out of people who might go along with the policy that you want to enact, but only if you do it on on terms that, that don't make them reactive or defensive. Um, be, be tactical or strategic about your use of language, uh, because if the, the only place that we can get to is having wars over, over the use of language, uh, you might not be able to get the more important thing done. That's, that's just my point of view. Okay. Um, we have, regarding trans rights, are there some rights that I, as a hopefully thoughtful moderate, should be advocating for on behalf of trans people? Thank you for speaking. <clears throat> uh, that's such a good question. There was a time not very long ago where having protections against being fired, uh, protections in employment, uh, housing protections, um, protections being able to, to, to have access to healthcare, that all of those things were, were actually difficult. And I, I can give you examples on all three of those where um, I can't prove I was discriminated against, but I, I have a pretty good intuition that I was discriminated against. Um, I think most of those things right now are in a pretty good space. So I'm not sure, except maybe in uh, some states where those protections are are lacking, I'm not sure that there's a lot practically that can be done to improve the, the rights of trans people um, in 2022 as, as compared to as, as where it was uh, 10 or 20 years ago. Um. What can you say, if anything, about the money behind um, getting men who identify as trans into women's sports? Is there, do you know anything about that? Well, I, I, let me give you at least a, a little perspective on that. Because I, I don't know how this is nationally. In Indiana, there were two different occasions that the ACLU purchased a back the, the full back page advertisement in the Indy Star to push to push against um, HB 1041. And that requires a lot of money. Uh, each time that I showed up to give testimony, the ACLU had had a rally. And at the rally, they had um, masks and they had little uh, placards to wave. And they had other types of regalia that they needed to organize their rally. And uh, that was a lot of money. It wouldn't surprise me at all if the ACLU put uh, $100,000 or $200,000 into Indiana to fight that bill. N that, that doesn't even include the staff that was dedicated to uh, fighting HB 1041, which, which Or now was, litigation, right? Or, or the litigation, um, which, just in Indiana, it would not surprise me at all if just the ACLU 
between between the litigation and and all of the marketing that they did to 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 oppose it spend a million dollars wouldn't surprise me at all no that's just one state so and and that's just the aclu that doesn't that doesn't take it into account the other organizations that would have been pushing back against hb 1041 and that doesn't count the 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 other money that goes into politicians that um do what these activist groups want so uh you know, I, I, when I hear questions like that, I think sometimes the question is, is there a, a pharmaceutical company that's behind it or is the, are the Priskers behind it? Uh, in this case, uh, I know the ACLU has spent lots and lots and lots of money. And if I help make it more expensive for them, good. <laughs> good. <laughs> okay, here's one more question. Um, why are trans women preferring the fight to participate while jeopardizing being accepted by women or belonging to that group? Um, I talk about this in other forums, but this this gets into a little bit of a spicy area. So I'm, I'm gonna try to do the soft version of it here. But um, let me make a difference between the, the kids who are being transitioned by their parents and being raised to believe that they're girls, uh, let me let me set them out aside completely and talk about athletes uh, who are transitioning in uh, the college level or older and, and playing in sports. Um, when you are transitioning your sex or you're trying to be in society as the other sex, um there is a, a sort of a an inability to build your own healthy self image and your your sense of well-being really depends on the behavior and and perceptions of the people around you what they, what they say they perceive and so I think that there's a, a drive in a lot of these adults who transition to coerce the people around them, to treat them in the way that they that they believe they want to be treated. So they I don't think that they have in, in a lot of cases, I don't think they have the ability to know that they're going to be actually treated worse because of their uh, aggressive bullying actions because as long as they can uh, threaten people enough to, to treat them like women, then that's good enough. So I, I think that that's, unfortunately, I think that that's the, the main part of that answer. I just have one more um, question, like along those lines, um, I know that you and I, I've heard you speak on this before and it was very helpful to me because we come across people who <clears throat> are completely captured or have a very close either family relationship or friendship um, where they're aligning on the opposite opposition side on this topic. Um, it's very difficult um, to kind of approach the conversation with that group do you have any insight on kind of the most difficult um 
uh, opposition people in our lives, particularly personal relationships. Um, do you have insight on approaching that topic or is it something that we, we approach last or, um, you know, I, go ahead. <laughs> this is only general advice that I've learned through, not through the trans stuff at all, just through my interpersonal relationships and, and hopefully getting slightly wiser <laughs> in my age. Um, that if you tell people that they're wrong, they're going to get defensive and, and angry, and you're, you're never going to be able to get somebody to change their mind by, by telling them that they're wrong. If you tell people what your perspective is, and you're not trying to have a, a fight over what their perspective, but if you just talk about what your point of view is, and you support it, um, not, not in a way that's, that's saying, uh, it, it, it's that way because I say it is. But if if you if you lay out your thinking a little bit, and just give what your point of view is, I, you know, people might say, well, agree to disagree, but at least you aren't turning off uh, the the avenues of communication. So just a, a little bit of um, non non aggressive pushiness. <laughs> saying well this is this is just what i believe um i i i saw a, a, a transsexual give a talk about this and 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 that helped me lay out my thinking a little bit differently i don't know if the, if if you need that sort of support maybe not but um don't don't try to change other people's minds it just never works Nancy has a question here for you, Corinda. Nancy Hogshead, what do you think about the locker room? Should females have an expectation of privacy there? Do you have some opinions on that? Yes. And so I'm going to start off by saying that after I transitioned and I had sex reassignment surgery and was trying to pass as a woman, there are times that I did use uh, women's locker rooms. Um, I felt like that, well, I, I knew that if I used the men's locker rooms, that that was going to be a problem. Uh, there, there wasn't at that time really an understanding of what trans people were, and it would have been uh, a lot more difficult at, at those times to explain what I was doing in the men's locker room. Uh, what I do now is I avail myself of, uh, if there are spaces that are set aside as, as individual spaces, I use those instead. Uh, women should have uh, an expectation of, of privacy in the women's room. Um, I think that it's good when facilities offer individual spaces for people who aren't comfortable in either space like me. Um, I know that that's a little bit contentious and some people say, well, why should there be a third space? Uh, there doesn't have to be a third space. It, I, I don't think that it's necessarily a requirement, but I'm, I'm more likely to use those types of facilities and feel welcomed in them if I'm able to, to use them without um, imposing on women, and if I'm able to use them without attracting uh, unwanted attention from men. Do you think male and female sports should be separated from birth or after puberty? We touched um, on. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think it's good when there are opportunities for boys and girls to play sports together and that creating those types of um, sporting 
that sort sort of sporting access where it's understood that it's um, is intramural the right word for it? It's co-ed recreational. Co-ed, co-ed recreational. Uh, I, I think that there should be co-ed recreational opportunities that are inclusive of of, of all children, um, and that there are also, in addition, opportunities for girls to only only play against girls. Um, for me, the the issue of protecting women and girls sports is especially important when the uh, when competition comes into it. And it's it's not just for exercise anymore, but it's it's actually there's something on the line uh, that, that these girls do want to become champions, and that having boys participate actually does create barriers. We've, we're seeing it happen, uh, but I, I think for uh, younger children that uh, there should be more opportunities for for coed sports. Tina, Tina wanted a clarification if you're comfortable answering. Corinna, if there's no third space, do you still use the women's room? Um, at this point, if there's no third space, then I don't use the facility. Um, I look for, I either um, make a mess of myself and I'm sweaty and, and gross. That's what I do when I go do my ten tennis lessons. Um, sorry, not sorry. Uh, you know, when in the, in the caveman ages, we're all sweaty all the time. So. Somebody will have to put up for, for uh, a few minutes if I happen to be um, gross. And uh, if there is an option to use the third space, then I do. Do you find in most public places that there is a third space that, I mean, is this, I don't know, I have not paid attention. No, they're in newer facilities, they tend to have um, more third spaces, whether they might be uh, family changing rooms uh, or, or uh, family or, or uh, bathrooms that larger bathrooms that that they often designate as d disabled bathrooms, um, but they don't tend to be sex segregated. Mariah has a question. Marcy, do you want to share? Thanks so much for speaking up. Uh, speaking of aggression and bullying, have you given any thought to the relationship between male privilege, how men are raised to demand? what they want and feel entitled to it, and those trans people's insistence on playing on women's sports teams? Um, I know that that's part of feminist analysis. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how much I agree with applying a, a class analysis, uh, which uh, the, the concept of male privilege is, is a class analysis, uh, how well that actually hits when you set it down at the individual level. Um, I think in some of these cases, it is pretty clear that these are cases of um, men who, who have a strong sense of entitlement uh, that may, may or may not be male privilege. Um, in other cases, these, these may be, especially when we're talking about the, the, the younger people who are in this, these may be people who've been um, encouraged to adopt a, a delusional understanding of the world. So I, I, I think uh, saying of individuals that they're exhibiting male privilege is, is fine, that's, that's okay. But um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have a hugely strong opinion on that. <laughs> okay, great. Well, thank you so much for everyone's questions. Um, we're just going to wrap up pretty quickly, um, and I just want to say thank you so much, Corinna. It's been so wonderful hearing from you, and we really look forward to working with you and 
in talking to um, sports governing bodies uh, moving forward and hopefully legislation, you know, across other states as well. Oh, yes, please, if there's legislation in your state, if you are anywhere close to the Capitol, please go and sign up to, to give testimony. Hmm. Okay. That's great advice. Thank you. Thank you, Corinna. Yeah, thank you.